Everybody, good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. If you would like to uh, enjoy the ambiance of the tea light on your table, um, you can feel free to go ahead and light that up. I mean, it's just a warm feeling here on a Monday night. But we're glad you're here. We're going to take a moment. We're going to pray, and then uh, after we pray, we'll get right into see what God has to say to us tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just uh, your Holy Spirit, that he is life. And we thank you for that life that's in us. We ask that he would blow through this place, life, uh, bring life to your word, bring life uh, to the light of your word, understanding, uh, knowledge. Pray, Father, that we would have ears that are wide open, eyes that are wide open, hearts and minds that are wide open to receive what you want to give to us tonight. So I just ask that uh, you would speak, that you would breathe life into our time together, breathe life into the the word that we're going to read tonight, breathe life, God, into us, and I pray that our life together would be full of you and full of that life. So have your way. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your presence here among us. Give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open to the book of Ezekiel. If you need a Bible, there's some located on the tables. If uh, you're using a digital version, awesome. But Ezekiel chapter... 37. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle. And you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. So Ezekiel chapter 37, I need a volunteer to read verses 9 and 10. All right, thank you. Uh, This is a word of encouragement that Ezekiel is giving the people. And the idea behind this is that uh, the people had been taken away captive. In other words, they uh, were, the the country they were part of, uh, Israel, Judah, had been overrun by the Chaldeans and uh, had been destroyed. Uh, Their city had been burned to the ground. Their temple had been destroyed. The walls of their city had been knocked down, and they were taken away, taken captive into a foreign country, and here they found themselves. And Ezekiel, who was also with them uh, in Babylon, uh, was giving them a word here of hope. It was a word of encouragement, because really they didn't have a lot of hope. It was kind of a hopeless situation. They had been overtaken, and they had nothing, and there was nothing waiting for them either. In other words, they couldn't even look forward, oh, maybe we'll go back and it'll be really nice there and, and there'll be people there waiting for us or there'll be buildings there or a house or where we lived or anything else, but they weren't there. Nothing was there. 
They had been taken away from a place, and the place had been destroyed behind them. And so, what had, where they saw, or what they could see was right where they were. In other words, we're here, we have a place to live, we have food on the table, we have what we have, and they'd been there, and they would be there for about 70 years. And so you got a whole generation that was growing up there that had never seen where they came from. They'd never seen Jerusalem, they'd never seen Judah, they'd never seen Israel, they'd never seen the temple, they'd never seen any of it. And so a whole generation grew up in Babylon with the Chaldeans and all of their ways and all the ways that they did things, which were contrary to the ways that the Jewish people did things. And so it was a fairly hopeless situation where they were because there wasn't really anywhere else to go. And they knew that even if they returned back to where they came from, there was nothing there for them either. And so I want you to frame this in that context. Just frame it in the context of, well, yeah, we really don't have anything, and we don't have anywhere to go. This is our life. And it was a life in a foreign country. It was a life where they weren't even fully citizens of the country. They didn't have certain rights. They didn't have certain privileges there. And there they were. That was it. That was their lot. And so Ezekiel is prophesying and recounting what God is saying to him. And the the purpose behind, one of the main purposes behind this word of prophecy is to encourage the people. Because he wants them to understand that there's always hope. He wants them to understand that no matter how dire the circumstance is, no matter how uh, just awful everything looks, there is always hope. For example, what's being described in these verses? This is the Valley of Dry Bones. If you remember the story, Ezekiel, he comes upon this valley. It's a vision. It's dry bones. There's all these bones of people that have been slain. And, And so... When you're looking at a, a valley full of bones, all right, it's not like you're going to run up and do CPR on them. Okay, follow me on this. They're removing the possibility of any kind of human power or created power to remedy that situation. That's what he's removing by describing them as the bones. Because there's 70 years later. 70 years have passed. And that whatever flesh had been on those bones, whatever people they had belonged to, all the rest, they were long gone. They had been picked at by animals, birds, whatever it was. Picked clean, all was left for skeletons, all was left for bones of people that had been slain. And so when you look at that, and if your hope, if the thing in you is thinking life, how hopeless is that situation? How hopeless is that? And I, and I really think about it. It's not... You don't even have a body. You don't have organs. You don't have any flesh whatsoever. There's no skin. There's no ligaments. There's no tendons. There's no muscles. There's nothing. There's no brain. There's no heart. All you have is bones. Valley of dry bones. And the bones are even dried out. So it's about the worst case scenario for life. And why is that important? That's important because if God's going to encourage you, you have to begin to understand that whatever situation you're in, He can handle it. You have to understand that, well, you know, thinking to yourself or allowing yourself to think, well, God just doesn't understand. Well, He does understand. He does understand the situation you're in. He does understand how hopeless it is. He does understand how there's nothing, no way, no how, this is ever going to work out the way it's going to work out. It's like standing in front of a valley of dry bones and saying, well, these bones are going to live. He asked Ezekiel that question. He's like, yeah, son of man, can these bones live? And, and Ezekiel didn't really even answer him. Because he's looking at dry bones. He's like, how? And he, so he says to the guys, like, only you know. <laughs> That's a safe answer in case God ever asks you something. You know. You know if, if they're going to live again. I don't know. And that's what he was saying. He was saying he didn't know. Because he's looking at the dry bones and he can't conceive of a way they're going to live. He can't think of a way. He knows that there is no human power or created power that can restore those bones to life. He knows that. He knows it. And so when God asked him the question, he, he only had one answer to give. He couldn't say no because with God anything's possible. But he had to say, well, you know, because I don't. 
And, and I want you to hear that as a word of hope to us. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, no matter how dire that circumstance is, no matter how hopeless that circumstance is, there is always hope in God. Always. And He provides us with that, that there is no circumstance, there is nothing that we face where we're absolutely out of hope. Because with God, hope is a part of our relationship with Him. It's one of the defining factors of who we are in Jesus. One of the defining factors of our relationship with God is that there is always hope. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how terrible things are, no matter how, how it can't possibly be done. And hear that. No way. And when we say that, we're saying there's no human power or there's no created power that can do that. That's what we're really saying. But God can. And so I want you to, like, somewhere, if you can tuck this away in your heart, your mind, somewhere in your spirit, somehow, where God's always there. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, no matter what, what situation you find yourself in, that God is always there. There's always hope. There's always hope. If you can tuck that away somehow. Because I'm a problem solver. I like to solve problems. I like to look at things, try to figure them out. I like to try to figure out what's going on. And I like to apply myself to situations. I like to apply myself to, to, to stuff that happens and to see a, a solution. I love doing that stuff. I love it. And, and so that's right down my alley of, of doing that. And yet, if I can't figure it out and maybe not even try... But let God just be God in whatever situation I find myself in. I mean, I, I could be ahead of the game if it came right down to it. So, uh, if I exhaust everything I know, I exhaust everything the people I know know, I exhaust everything that I have, there's always God. Always. And so we need to have that in our heart. We need to have that in our mind. That there's always, always, always hope. And so God... Uh, originally, he, he begins with Ezekiel and he says, okay, I want you to speak to the bones. That's what he says back a couple verses. He's like, I want you to speak to the bones. And the Bible describes what happens after that. The bones all hop up and join together, right? And he prophesies over them, so they all join together. They form skeletons because they've been apart for a long time. They form a basic skeleton and then the Bible describes that muscles and, and tissues are being formed there. And I can only imagine that you've got, you've got ligaments, tendons, you've got muscle, you've got all these things being formed onto the bone. You've got organs being placed into whoever these people were. And skin surrounding it, and skin being put over it. And so, there it is, you see... The bones come together because he prophesied to the bones. You got the bones coming together. You got the, you, you got all of the connective tissue coming together. You got the muscles coming together. You got the organs coming together. You got the skin covering it all. And and what? They're all still dead. They're all still dead. They're still laying on the ground dead, even though all those bones came together, even though all those muscles came together, even though all that connective tissue came together, all those organs came together. Everything was put in place, but they're still dead. Because there was something else you needed to do. There was something else that, that needed to happen. And so God says in these verses that we're looking at, this is the next step. So you got the bodies formed, but the body is the body. But he looked at it and he said, now I want you to prophesy to the breath. And I want you to, and I'm not going to belabor this, but I want you to let this kind of get in your brain a little bit. He prophesies specifically to what's needed. He doesn't prophesy around it. He doesn't prophesy stuff that supports it. He just prophesied directly to what was needed. How do you know that that's what was needed? All I want you to think about was the beginning. I want you to think about Adam and how God formed man, formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And so he formed him out of the dust of the ground, so there was a body laying on the ground, but it wasn't alive. Kind of the same situation you have here with Ezekiel. That, 
that that body is there, that body is whole and complete, but it's just not alive. And the reason we know that it needs breath is that the way it became alive was that God breathed into him the breath of life. Talking about Adam. And the Bible says when God breathed in him the breath of life, he became a living soul. And so at that point, you see the, the full man. You see the, the body, which God had formed from the dust of the ground. You see the breath of life, which is a spirit that he breathes into him. And then you see what's formed between that union of God's spirit and the physical body. You see the soul come into being in that moment. And so you see that full man, you see that body, you see the soul, you see the spirit. And, and it describes kind of a, a balance, an equilibrium that we have within ourselves, a spiritual equilibrium that God intends for us, where our body has certain functions, our body has certain influence over us. For example, you get hungry, your body gets hungry, you get low on blood sugar, whatever it is, your body tells you you need to eat, so you get an appetite, you feel like you're hungry, you want to eat something. Well, that's your body letting you know that, right? And so that's all right. And so probably you're going to go and you're going to eat. Now, you might use some kind of wisdom when you eat, not just eat everything you see or eat anything that you happen to come across. And there might be some wisdom that's associated with that. And your soul may rise up and say, hey, why don't you have a vegetable tonight? That's a good idea. Or... Maybe you're hungry and maybe your body's calling for food, but you made a commitment to God uh, and you spoke to God in your spirit, which is connected to God. You made a commitment saying, I'm going to fast for the next 24 hours. And so you have a spiritual commitment to fast for the next 24 hours. you got your soul, which is figuring out the best meal plan for your body, and then you have your body demanding food immediately. And so there's a negotiation that's happening there and there's a, a moving that's happening there where as we mature in Christ, what should happen, this is what should happen, is that your spirit, which is connected to God, says no. No, you're fasting for the next 24 hours, so I'm going to say no to the body and no to the meal plan. We're moving forward in Jesus. That's it. And so as we mature in Christ, our spirit takes more of a leadership, more of an authoritative role in our lives over our body and over our soul. Without that spirit connection to Jesus, without that spirit connection to God, the highest level of our being that we can comprehend is our soul. The lowest level being our body. The Bible talks about how people that are drawn away by the demands of their body and what kind of sin that leads people into, obviously. It leads into debauchery. It leads into gluttony. It leads into drunkenness. It leads into uh, sexual promiscuity. It leads into a lot of different things. If all you're doing is responding to the demands of your body. So God says to Ezekiel, he says, prophesy to the breath. And it's the breath that, as we just talked about, it's the breath that's God's quickening power. It's his power to bring to life. All right, That's how he quickens. That's how he, he brings life into things is through his breath. In the Old Testament, there's certain words used for breath, uh, pneuma is uh, what it was transliterated into. But the idea is that it could also mean wind. And so you have uh, different words that are used, and you have to look at the context to understand what it is. Uh, I've recently been listening to a Bible program, uh, and it's one of those uh, text-to-speech, text-to-speech programs that are on your phone. And it's kind of that metallic female voice that tries to read whatever text that you have it going through because I want to listen to it when I'm in the car. Well, there's certain words in the English language that are spelled the same, right? Like, if I say to you, for goodness sake, S-A-K-E, sake, 
We all know that word, right? Do it for the sake of the children. You know, or whatever context you want to use that in. But but my stupid text-to-speech can't understand context, right? So, so instead of for goodness sake, it translated for goodness sake. All right, like, you know, like, like Japanese wine is what it translates it as because it's spelled the same, but it's way out of context. And so we have to have some kind of context in our heart, our mind, our, our reading, our understanding. You have to have some kind of context on what's going on. And so in this passage of Scripture, he said, prophesy to the breath. And he draws a distinction through the language of this. He draws a distinction. Because as I said, that, that, that breath is the spirit of life. It's, it's the life. It's the breath. But he draws a distinction because he, he summons that breath from the four winds. And you can look at the distinction. If you read the verse, you can see the distinction. There, he's prophesying to the breath, but he's calling it forth and summoning it from the winds. What winds? North, south, east, and west. The winds that come from everywhere. And that's really the... The idea behind that is that he's calling upon the winds. He's calling upon life. And, and this is not something he's gathering from the north. He's gathering from the south. He's gathering from the east. He's gathering from the west. That's what he does. And he's bringing a gathering of life into this place. And he, he prophesies to that breath. And he's gathering, gathering, gathering from the four winds. And he says to him, he summons this. He says, tell it. I don't know if your Bible says that, but he says to Ezekiel, God says, tell it. Tell what? Tell the breath. Tell it. Instruct it. Declare my will over it. Tell it. You want to look and, and see how Jesus prayed for the sick? He told it. A lot more often than he was praying, you know, Lord, if it's your will. He didn't pray that. He didn't go up and pray for somebody that's sick. He didn't say, hey, you know, Lord, if you want to do this or whatever. He didn't go pray for the sick. Please, you know, if you would. He didn't pray like that. He told it. Hey, somebody's got a fever. He rebuked it. Someone's eyes were shut. He's commanded to be open. Commanded mouths to be open. Ears to be open. That's what he said. He told it. He was telling. There's something to the prophetic word that is in, in there's an old definition way back when I was still taking tests to be a credential minister. These three and six hour tests I used to have to take. And part of those tests like, well, prophecy is forth-telling. I mean, you got to tell something. All right? You tell it. You proclaim it. You declare it. Get some backbone behind when you prophesy and, and speak with some kind of an authority. Because I kind of sort of think I might know. That ain't cutting it. It's not. So you tell it. That's what he told him. So God told him, he says, alright, so you're going to summon the spirit of life. You're going to summon this spirit, this breath of life. You're going to summon it from the four winds. In other words, we're going to gather that from all four directions. And it was where... You know, we get scattered. We got scattered too. God's people got scattered. And and God's people are still scattered. We are not living in unity in any way, shape, or form. And you think about the church, how splintered the church is. Because it's not living in unity in any way, shape, or form. Maybe it's just going to be that way till the end. I have no idea. But definitely it's been scattered. And so... He prophesies. He prophesies and He summons from the four winds, from all directions, wherever all of the, the people of God have been scattered, He summons this breath. And this breath is representative of the Holy Spirit. 
and he tells it, he tells it to go into these slain men. Now, I use the word slain because that's what the Bible says. So in other words, these weren't just dead people. They weren't just people that died of natural causes. They weren't just people that got old and killed over in a field somewhere. These were people that were slain. In other words, these are people that had suffered a violent death. And there they laid where they were slain in that field. They died of unnatural causes. They had been destroyed by their enemies. And see, go back to what I said at the beginning of this. This is a word of hope. Because Israel had been destroyed by its enemies. Judah had been destroyed by its enemies. Jerusalem had been destroyed by its enemies. People's homes and their families had been destroyed by their enemies. Their herds and their crops and everything that they had in their lives to their name that was worth anything had been destroyed by their enemies. Gone, done, dead. Nothing left. And that's why this word from Ezekiel when he's calling forth these these bones and, and they're joining back up together and they're, they're joining up into bodies, well, that's not good enough. But those bodies were still laying there dead. They were still slain. They were still victims of violent death laying dead in the field where Ezekiel saw them. But there had to be something else. There had to be this breath that came. And it was the same breath that you, you see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 when God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. That's what you see. And that's what has to happen. Everybody spends so much effort cleaning up the outside, making things look right. You know, I've been to so many funerals in my life. My grandfather pastored a church. We used to have funerals at our house. We had a big living room with a white carpet that we'd have marriages and funerals in. And they'd bring the body right in. <coughs> and so we'd have funerals right in that room. And, you know, if they brought them in the day before, the morning of, I'd always go in and take a look at the dead person just to see. You know, because you're dead. I mean, you're dead, but in our traditions, at least in the traditions we had, you lay them out in the casket, but they have their nicest clothes on and makeup and a wig on or something. They make them look nice, Right? That's, that's, they try to anyway. And and so, you know, they spend a lot of effort, time and effort, trying to figure that out. I mean, certain uh, people that that do, like, hair, they work with local uh, funeral homes to do people's hair, you know, on dead people. And so that's just the way it is. And so they try to do it and, and whatever. So I was at a bunch of funerals, a bunch of funerals at the church, funerals at the house, Funerals ever had saw a lot of dead people. And they would all try to make them look really nice. We have a need to somehow look right on the outside. We just do. And I don't think in, inherently there's anything wrong with that. I like looking nice. I like to, you know, I try to make sure I brush my teeth and I clean up every day. And, um, you know, I mean, that's how it goes and try to wear clothes that aren't dirty, or try to wear nice things that kind of match, and I try to figure it out. So there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The issue becomes when that becomes the most important thing. And and, that, and if you look at this, this passage here in Ezekiel, there is a, a word that's going forth. And I want you to hear the word. And that is the form. That is the thing that the body, that is whatever it is you want to make it, it is city, the temple, whatever it is that needed to be rebuilt in this day, whatever needed to be rebuilt, your home, the palace, whatever it was, that's not the most important thing. He didn't say it wasn't important because you needed the bodies there in order for the next step to happen. But it's not the most important thing. And so when they were going to eventually go back 
And he's prophesying toward this. And they're eventually going to go back to Jerusalem and they're going to rebuild the temple and they're going to rebuild the king's palace and they're going to rebuild the wall and they're going to rebuild all the parts of Jerusalem that have been torn down and burned down and destroyed. He was giving them a word. He's like, all right, you go do that, but that's not the most important part. Same thing when we become Christians. We want to clean everybody up. Well, cleaning them up is not the most important part. The most important part is the life. And that's always the most important part. Because a temple without life is just a, a stone building. The city of Jerusalem without the life of the Spirit of God is just another city. That, that more than just the form, more than just the building, more than just the temple, more than just our outward appearance, more importantly than those things, even though those play a part in everything, more importantly is the spirit of life, that life that's in us, more important. And it will always be more important. Because once you had the bodies reformed, which took a word of prophecy to do so, that was the prophetic word, that was the word of life, that was spoken over those bones, spoken over that flesh, spoken over those parts that came into being. That was a, a direct, powerful word of God that brought that to pass. No human ability, power, or any created power could have ever done that. And even though it was a miracle in and of itself, those bodies still laid there dead after that. They were still dead. Just as dead as they were when they were just dry bones. They took a different form, just as dead. So they formed into the body, and then that's when God spoke to Ezekiel. He says, once that happened, okay, we got this part, but look, and I want you to really think in your mind. Look at it. They're still dead. And really get that in your heart. They're still dead. Well, they look good. Right. They look great. They look like they're sleeping, but they're dead. Well, it looks better than a valley of dry bones. Is it any better, though? I mean, I mean just for a second, just think about that. Is it really any better? Or are they just as dead as they were? They're just as dead as they were. Okay, so what needed to happen next was that he says he prophesied to the breath. The breath gets its own thing, its own prophecy. The bones didn't get their own prophecy, just them. The, the, the sinews, the, the ligaments, the tendons, they didn't get their own prophecy. The muscles didn't get their own prophecy. The organs didn't get their own prophecy. The brain didn't get its own prophecy. The heart didn't get its own prophecy. The skin didn't get its own prophecy. None of those things got its own prophecy. One prophecy, boom, bodies are formed. That's not the hard part. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the breath of life. That's the hard part. Because like I said, I saw plenty of dead bodies. Some of them looked pretty good. In fact, if the person had been you know, sick beforehand, sometimes they looked better dead than they did the last time I saw them in the hospital. Just the truth. Not usually, but sometimes. But what good did that do them? What's missing? Well, you look good. What's missing? The breath of life. They have departed this world. They're gone. We got the body... Make it as nice as we can, but what's really important? They have departed this world. That's what's important. The breath gets its own prophecy. See, you prophesy to the breath, because there's the life. There's the life. And we can't do that. We don't have the ability to do that. And I mean, I, I, like I said, most of you have heard this before. I worked on an ambulance for a long time, years, over ten years. And working on the ambulance, I saw some heroic efforts by paramedics and others on those ambulances. And even in the hospitals, once we got to the hospitals, the uh, ER docs, really heroic efforts to bring people back, and they just couldn't do it. The best of modern medicine, I mean, you're sitting, at, um, you're sitting over at University Hospital, they got the best of modern medicine for emergency medicine. 
and you just can't do it because that ain't up to us. Sometimes they bring somebody back. I mean, we, I saw people come back. I threw a defibrillator on them. They, you know, heart got shot into a regular rhythm or stopped and then started in a regular rhythm. And they came out of it and they were good. All right, awesome. But I ain't got the breath of life in me. Not like that. All right, I just don't. And so God, he tells Ezekiel, he's like, all right, well, you prophesy to that breath. And you call it from the four winds. Wherever it's scattered, you bring a unity to this. And we're going to look at this. And it says, then, if you cry, if you, if you prophesy to the breath and you call it from the four winds, after that, then they can live. In other words, it's possible. But it's not possible without the breath of life. It's just not. But you call that breath, then it's possible. They can live. All right. So I look at Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 29. All right. So just to make it clear... And I know it's clear because I keep saying it over and over again. But just to make it clear, understand that when God takes away the breath, there's no more life. The breath is the life. Over the past number of years, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of study in breath. And I've do a lot of study in breathing. And, and people that I, I follow, people that I've heard talk about it, people that I've uh, sat through lectures with, I mean, they're very clear on this. Like, you can go along, you know, you can go... Uh, days without eating. You think about the necessities of life, you can go days without eating. And and you can also go days without drinking water, without drinking anything. But how long can you go without breathing? You think about necessities of life, how long, and you don't think about breath, but how long can you go without breathing? Not very long. Not very long. And so, breath is essential to life. It just is. And, and what's happened is, over time, people have figured out, because we breathe so often, that there's ways that we can pattern our breath, there's ways that we can extend our breath, ways that we can breathe that enhance certain parts of our life. I believe that. I'm not going to get into all that, but I believe that. And so... I found that to be the case in my life. found to be the case that there's certain patterns of breathing that help me rest. <coughs> there's certain patterns of breathing that help me fall asleep. There's certain patterns of breathing that help me to wake up. And I use them. And so breath is essential for life. You can't live without it. Revelation 11.11, somebody. I think those are two faithful witnesses that's talking about. And and they'd been I mean, I think, is that who it is? Yeah, the two faithful witnesses. Yeah, and so they had killed them. Alright? And so they laid in the street and people mocked them, made fun of them. And then all of a sudden the breath of life came into them, they got up and everybody's afraid. Because the breath of life brought life. And and they killed them, killed them. Not just killed them, but killed them, killed them. And and so when they got up and they began to to move and to prophesy and to go about their business again, that terrified the people that were there. You see, breath is life. And so the skin, the flesh, the muscle, the connective tissue, the hair, the organs, all on those bodies, the breath of life, prophesy. I'm going to prophesy this life into them. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to tell it. Tell it. Go in so that they can live. They can live. They 
So the Bible says that Ezekiel obeyed. In other words, he did what God told him to do. And there's something interesting about that, that we have so emphasized teaching and preaching, which I think are important, but we so overemphasize that, that I think sometimes that we forget we need the Spirit. It's not just teaching and preaching. It's not just understanding language. It's not just understanding how to communicate. It's not just understanding how to take a part of Scripture and explain it in context. But there needs to be some infusion of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be life to it. And we need that kind of life. We need that, those words to be living. We need those words to be powerful. We need those words to be sharper than any two-edged sword that, so that they can divide asunder soul and spirit and joint and marrow and be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Understand it. That that's the, the work of the Spirit in us that we need it empowered like that. We need life into our words. If you find your words falling on the ground, what words? Words about Jesus. What words about God? Words that you want to speak into people's lives. Well, if they're falling on the ground, then you need an infusion of the breath of life. You need the Spirit to bring life to those words. And I'll tell you what, a living word never returns void. Never. Now, I draw a distinction. I always have drawn a distinction between that which you speak and that which God speaks. Because that's a living word, what He speaks. What we speak is whatever we speak. It could be good. It could be the truth. It could be something that, that we really feel like we're supposed to say. But when we prophesy and we speak forth the Word of God, we speak forth His life, we speak forth the life-giving Word, then you see change. Then you see significant change in people's hearts, lives, the way they see things and the way that they understand things. That's when you see the change. So Ezekiel obeyed. He obeyed. And, and so what we see is we see life, which there's more to life than the physical body. I know we, we judge life by the physical body. In other words, that's how we determine someone's living or dead. You know, when I, when I go on a scene on the ambulance and there's somebody that was obviously dead, uh, and there's certain signs of obvious death, uh, life is more than the body. More, and that perspective is something that we need, and it's something that I really believe God wants us to have. Is that life is more? Life is more than my physical body. Life is more than what I can produce physically, what I can think of. Life is more than what I've experienced. It's more, and there's an eternal nature that life because all of us probably our bodies are going to give out at some point and that'll just be the end of our body but life is more than the body and and so we shed our body because life is more than that and we continue on with life in whatever fashion God's deemed it I mean I got my ideas what it's going to look like but other people have their ideas what it's going to look like and I guess we'll just all find out. But I, I take comfort in that this isn't the end. I take comfort in that this body is not the the summation of my life. There's so much more. There's a whole eternity to live. And so when our bodies run out, when our bodies are done, they're done, and we'll just continue living. We'll continue going. And so this passage speaks to that. It really speaks to life being more than just the body. Because it speaks to a people that had lost everything. It speaks to a generation of people that had never seen their homes. It speaks to a generation of people that knows everything that they left behind or everything that their, their family used to have is now gone. And they're going to all have to start from scratch but it speaks to that. Because that which is dead, God can reassemble and He can breathe into and it'll live again. 
he calls the he calls that whole valley of dry bones and those bodies that were formed. He calls them to life, and he calls them to stand. Each one of them stand, stand in your power, stand in support yourself. Do it, and, he, and that's that's the kind of life that he gives us. Kind of kind of interesting. They weren't just feeble. They weren't weak. They weren't just barely able to get up. It wasn't like they, they had to have some kind of other help to get up, but they had become and they had been made into through the formation of the prophecy that brought their bodies together and then the formation of the prophecy that spoke that breath of life into them. They were now living souls again. Meaning they could stand, they could move, and they could make the decision. They could do what they needed to do on their own. It was under their own power. Because that's how God restores. And I don't know, I guess if I was in a, a country where I knew I'd lost everything where I came from, and I have someone speaking over me that I serve a God who restores, not just a little or halfway, but 100%, I'd feel pretty good about that. I'd be encouraged by that. That he restored those bones to those living beings that can stand on their own and then go about their business on their own. Well, then that's the kind of God who restores everything. Everything. Wholeness. And then, and then there's a coming together here that I don't want to overlook either. There's a life, there's, there's a standing that takes place, but then there's a unity, there's a unifying that takes place here and a coming together. And, and it takes place in those two different moments where you got the body come together and then you got the spirit put in. And I want you to see the importance, the emphasis on the spirit as it gets its own word, it gets its own project. Prophesy to that spirit. Prophesy to that breath of life. Tell it. Tell it to enter in. Tell it to fill those bones. Tell it to fill those bodies. And they rose up. And the way the Bible describes them rising up, this is why I say unity, it says they rose up as an army. And the word that's used there for that, I don't know if your Bible says army, mine says army. What does your Bible say? They rose up. This is an army, right? And so the word used for that is very specific. And it describes a, it describes a battle force that is strong, courageous, and well-ordered. And so when it says that they rose up, they rose up not just as separate um, soldiers, which they all could stand on their own, they could do whatever they're going to do, but they rose up as separate soldiers, independent soldiers, that were brought together in a unity by being a part of this army. That's like when people talk to me about worship, and I'll, I'll say this again. We need to worship God as individuals. Like, in other words, you need to go into church on Sunday or go into your closet or wherever you worship, and you need to worship God as an individual. And as we worship God as an individual, He brings us together, and we're worshiping together. But my worship isn't your worship. Your worship isn't my worship. You don't, it's not like you piggyback on my worship and I don't piggyback on your worship. You need to worship. You need to praise. You need to thank Him. You need to, to, to do whatever to demonstrate your ascribing of worth to Him. That's what you do. And so as you do that as an individual, and I do that as an individual, and other people do that as individuals, we join together during our times of worship for corporate praise and corporate worship. But it doesn't work if you're dependent on me or I'm dependent on you. It doesn't work if I'm waiting for you or you're waiting for me to, to actually do something. It's like, I show up, i got to worship. You show up, you got to worship. If everybody did that, we'd have great worship. We would. We wouldn't be waiting for you know the right song to come on or that song I don't like. I hope it's over soon. We wouldn't be doing that. It's like, no, I want to worship. I'm here to worship. I'm going to worship. Worship. That's it. And we begin to worship as individuals. We find ourselves worshiping as individuals together. As a group. As a body of believers. 
It's like, it's like described, as Paul described, my finger is not my toe, but man, it's my body. My hand is not my foot, but that's my body. I don't write with my feet. And I don't generally walk on my hands. So my foot's got a job, my hand's got a job. We don't shake feet in our society and say hello. I use my hand for that. Even if it's a fist bump right now, whatever it is, we use our hand for that. So my foot has a purpose, my hand has a purpose. It goes about its business. I don't even know what my foot's doing most of the time. I don't know how weight's being transferred across my foot most of the time. I don't pay attention to it. Sometimes I don't know what my hand's doing. It's all right. I don't know what my heart's doing. I don't know what my lungs are doing. I'm not even paying attention to that. But I'm alive. There's a concert going on in my body, which Paul described to describe the body of Christ. There's a concert going on where each instrument, each thing is playing its part and it sounds awesome. That's what our worship's supposed to be like. Play your part. Do your thing. Because when you do your thing, I do my thing, we all do our thing, it sounds great. I think. It sounds awesome. And so the idea of the army is that you've got these guys that, okay, you get the breath of life, tell it, speak it, proclaim it. There's the breath of life going into them. Awesome. And so it raises up. And, and here's the words. What it describes. Strong. You hear me? Strong. Courageous. Courageous and well-ordered. In other words, speaking to a bunch of refugees in a foreign country with no home to go to, strong, courageous, and well-ordered. I'm the God who restores. Be ready. I'm the God who redeems. Be ready. I'm the God who gives life where there is no life. Be ready. Be ready. Be strong. Be courageous and well-ordered. I think being well-ordered is underrated in our society. Something good about being well-ordered. It's out of vogue, I think, out of fashion. Yeah. Too bad. I'm going to take a few moments to pray. And I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to this. What God might be speaking to you. Maybe you need some hope today, some encouragement. You might be in a bad spot. Well, it's not too bad for God. Hey, it's not that's not that far gone. It can't be too far gone for him. And so I want to encourage you today. Maybe you just need to receive some encouragement tonight. Maybe. Maybe that's what you're here for, is to get some encouragement. Maybe you need some instruction on prophecy. Maybe God's just speaking you some instruction about proclaiming things and telling things and speaking to things and being more aggressive, be authoritative in the words that you give. Maybe that's something God's speaking to you and you need to respond to that and speak as He speaks over you. Maybe you just need an infusion of that spirit of life in you, that breath of life, just to receive it, just to receive His life. Because maybe you're just feeling half there, feeling half dead, feeling like you, you don't know. Maybe you just need an infusion of some of that spirit. Maybe you need some strength or some courage or some order over your life. What does God say to that? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the option and you give us the privilege of obedience to you. I thank you that as we obey, we see amazing things happen. Shocking things happen as we obey. And I thank you for the life of Ezekiel being an example of just shocking things that happen when you obey. And so, God, as we look at this, and we look at this word of encouragement to your people, I pray we'd be encouraged tonight. I pray you'd lift our hearts 
you lift our minds, you lift our eyes up to you tonight, and that we would be encouraged, that we'd be brought out of dingy darkness in our life, we find ourselves in some light, to bathe in some light tonight, and to get free. So God, I thank you that you can move anything. I thank you you can fix anything. I thank you, God, that you can redeem anything. I thank you, God, you can set anyone, anything free in the name of Jesus. I thank you you can provide anything. I thank you, God, you can change any situation. You can change any heart. You can change any life. You can change anything. You can change it. Let me give you thanks for that tonight. I ask for your breath of life to fill us, to fill us tonight. I pray that you will help us to take hold of a perspective about how physical life is not our definition of life. It's part of it, but it's certainly not the whole thing. That there's a whole life to live once our bodies are done. Holy eternity. And so God, I pray that we would maintain a little bit of eternity in our heart. A little bit of eternity in our mind. A little bit of eternity in our speech even while we we speak to others. Because God, I thank you that not only do you call us as individuals, but you help us to stand. And so, God, I thank you for that opportunity to stand and to worship. I thank you for the opportunity to stand and to evangelize. I thank you for the opportunity to stand and to preach and teach. I thank you for the opportunity to stand and be used of you. I just pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit anointing, that the words we speak would be life, 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 and that they would change people's lives as we listen to you and we do what you tell us to do. God, I pray would be a people who are strong, strong, stronger than our bodies, an inner strength, a spiritual strength, strength manifest through our body, our soul, our spirit. I pray God would be courageous. He'd raise up a body of believers tonight that are courageous, that don't live in fear, won't live in fear, refuse to live in fear, but walk above that and beyond that. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. We're going to live courageously. And I pray for some of us specifically this prayer. I pray for an ordering over our lives. I pray that you would bring about a discipline and an order over our lives. As an army stands there and gets ready to move in unison, gets ready to move the unit, I pray God an order over our lives, over our hearts, that we can live together, move together, be used together, minister together. I just pray, Father, that you would order me. Order my family. Thank you, Lord. Give you thanks tonight. We ask God that you would do your work in us. We pray, Father, that we would allow your Holy Spirit free reign and that he would make the changes in us that need to be made. All I can say is, have your way, Jesus. Have your way. I speak, declare, change. In us, in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying, Amen. Amen. Bless you. Good to see everybody tonight. See you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyway, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the community that. Yeah, so a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997, 
That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 